Hello and welcome back to Getaway Day. My name is Mason, his name is Gautham, and we are here with episode 62. Uh, 62. That is a lot. We've been doing this for a while now, haven't we? Yeah, we have. 62 different times. Wait, more than that, because we did the four minisodes. We did a couple other things that didn't get actual numbers as well. So, dang. Um, but yeah, so episode 62, I think we've got a pretty good one for you. Uh, we're going to go through some This Week in Baseball. Uh, then we're going to talk about what would be the ultimate mega team in baseball this year. I'll kind of explain the stipulations on that here when we get to that part. But first of all, Gowie, how are you doing, bud? I am doing great, even though uh, lots of uh, sky is falling kind of things are happening around baseball, which we'll get to in a little bit. But me personally, I am doing well. Have you by chance seen a doubleheader in the last week? I have. Yes. Wrigley Field on Saturday. And how was that? That was excellent. Yeah. Um, sat, sat in the bleachers for game one. I mean, there's really not like a better place to watch a baseball game than the Wrigley Field bleachers. Um, I can think was, of a whole bunch of places better than the Wrigley Field bleachers. No, uh, it's it's next level. It's Pretty much anywhere would be better. Incorrect. We're going to, well, with this, episode 62 might be the last episode of this podcast. <laughs> we'll hey, have to you, see how this goes. I've been to so many Cubs games with you, and you have never once said, let's sit in the bleachers, it's elite. Yeah. So you're kind of misleading me here a little bit. I don't know how good it actually is. Okay, so, so don't knock it before you've tried it. Well, let's try it. Okay, next time. All right. Are, are we going to go? Uh, no, we can't because they're not going to be in town the same weekend. I was going to say, I know we've got plans to go to a White Sox game. Let's just try and double up. But I'd, we I can't, wish. unfortunately. That's going to happen. Yeah. We'll, we'll plan on that happening next year. The, the, the Crosstown the, uh, the doubleheader. The Crosstown doubleheader. That's going to yeah. be awesome. I'm so excited for that. But, all right. So let's get right into it so as you kind of alluded to the sky is falling across a lot of major league baseball right now i mean the sky has been falling the entire season for the cincinnati reds that's not, not really, really actually that's new. not even true though they've been over 500 in their last like 30 they're just average again yes but if you're a fan of the reds like you're still looking at their 20 and 35 record and you're like there we have no shot Hey, they're gaining on and, the Cubs. And they started, what, 3-20 and 20 or something stupid? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, it, there's, there's still not a lot of hope down here in, in Reds country, even though they've been playing pretty well. Um, Tyler Stevenson's been playing well. Hunter Green's had but, some great starts as well. Yeah. But the rest of the league seems to be falling apart. Uh, Washington is awful. Oakland is back to their awful ways. Um, but probably the most surprising sky is falling moment we've had so far is a team that was on pace to win 99 games just goes on a 13 game losing streak. And that's the Los Angeles angels. They are now 27 and 30. But, so what's, what's going on there? Why? Yeah. So, when they what, what was their record before? I guess it was like twenty seven and ten or whatever. 
Uh, it'd be 27 and 17. 27 and 17. Okay. So they had a, you know, 10, 10 games over 500, looking pretty good, kind of just behind the Astros in striking distance to take that division from them. And then at, at that point, everything was going well for the, for the Angels. You know, Mike Trout was playing, he's healthy, Rendon. Uh, his hips Taylor were working. Ward. Taylor Ward was dominating. Uh, Jared Walsh in there. Like, everyone was doing their part. Pitching, they were great. Uh, bullpen was amazing. There was nothing wrong with the Angels. They were, looked like they were a clear playoff team. Pretty sure I said that. Probably on this podcast, I said, they look like they're going to the playoffs. And very... So you're quickly, the problem. I'm the problem here. I cursed the Angels. Okay. And all their units became terrible. Like they, they all became bottom five in the league. They, they haven't run the bases well. They haven't fielded well. Their starting pitching and their bullpen have been bottom of the league. And then everyone forgot how to hit. And then Taylor Ward and uh, Rendon got hurt. And now Mike Trout himself um, came out of yesterday's game with a groin um, injury. We don't know the severity of it at this point, but if they lose him for any extended period of time, like that is a major, major problem. Yeah. And I, I just, I don't understand how everything's clicking and then everything falls apart all at the same time. Like I, yeah. I get that. Like when, when you're in an absolute groove, you're probably going to slump at some point or come back right. to earth. Yeah. There's some correction going to happen. It's not, this is it, an overcorrection. So yeah. It's so rare that everything crashes all at once. It, uh, I mean, this is obviously not nearly on the same level, um, but it's kind of like, uh, what was it? Black Monday in 1929, Black Tuesday, uh, the, the stock market crash that caused the Great Depression. Yeah. It just, it like, everything was great. And then all of a sudden, nothing was good. <laughs> So like are, single it, thing. are you trying to say that if we, if we had looked a little bit deeper into the angels, we could have like seen this coming. Cause like, I feel like they knew, right. Like in, in hindsight, like we knew it was going to crash. Yeah. I mean, we all knew it was going to crash. Uh, everyone always said, and I'm, I'm definitely one that does it. Met's going to met. Well, angels going to angel. It's Artie Moreno's team. I don't think that team's been good since he's owned it. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's been a struggle. And then, yeah, so we don't even mention, but Joe Madden relieved of his duties after uh, the 12th loss. Said duty. Huh? <laughs> 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 and uh, he was blindsided by it, but I think many people kind of feel like he hasn't been the right manager for this team, and he's not the same manager he was with the Rays and with the Cubs, really. Yeah. And, like, you can sit there and make the argument that this doesn't really make sense. He's just a scapegoat because everything fell apart all at the same time. But at the same time, Joe was not the right manager for this team at all. Um, Madden, because we'll get to, just to make sure we're all on the same page here. Joe Madden was not the right manager for this team at all. He used to be the most forward-thinking, progressive manager in the majors. He was like one of the first guys to really lean into the shift. He was one of the, or he was just really good at using analytics for his bullpen and things. And then all of a sudden, in the last couple of years, 
he forgot everything that he used to do and know. And now he's walking Corey Seager with the bases loaded when you're down a run. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. We spent a, a good chunk of time talking about that major tactical error that he made in a game this season. Yeah, and I mean, they managed to win that game, but that's when everything was going right. Yeah, and, so and his, you, going getting back to his rationale for that, it was like just to stir things up, basically. And that's kind of what the Angels are doing here, right? By firing Madden. It's not like exactly. the manager is the biggest impact on anything, but they got to make a change in this situation. And yeah, it's kind of warranted. Yeah. And I mean, the manager doesn't have the biggest impact on the game, but when a manager is making boneheaded decisions like that on a daily basis, it can make a pretty big difference. I mean, I still think that the reason that they suck is because he didn't start Taylor Ward or Mike Trout in the game we went to. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was the cause of all of all their problems. Yep. It had to be it. I can't think of a single other thing it could be. But. Interesting note, though, about the we'll get to this, the other managerial firing um, with the Phillies in a second. But both of these teams are contending teams, right? We can safely say like they are contenders for making the playoffs. The last time that that has happened midseason was actually the Cardinals in 2018 when they let Mike Matheny go when they had a uh, record over 500. So it's not really something that's done too often these days. Like, cause I think the teams realize that letting go of your manager is not really going to fix much. Yeah. Yeah. But, and then, so that kind of leads us right into the, the Phillies situation here too. So the Phillies were on a pretty, pretty bad slide. Uh, they were, I, they lost like six games in a row, maybe five games. It was at least five. Sure. I know that. Um, Ashley's over here. I'd be cool if TLR was fired. We may or may not have been talking about that right before we started recording. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, Philly was on a pretty bad slide and they just have not been playing up to their potential. Um, they've not really scored all that many runs with a high powered offense behind Bryce Harper, uh, Kyle Schwarber, Nick Cassianos, um, actual solid contribution from Alec Baum. Um and their pitching was eh, but eh for the Phillies pitching-wise is the best it's been in years. Starting so, pitching was very good. It has been very good. Yeah, and it's it's kind of been that way for a while where the starting rotation is solid and then the bullpen sucks. And this is the best version of both that we've seen in a while, but it was still not really... It wasn't good enough to win them a whole bunch of games if their offense didn't show up. Yeah. And the defense is, of course, atrocious. Yeah. Uh, worst defense in the league, I believe, by... Yeah. Or, um, by a lot of different measures, yeah. Yeah. But, so then they fire Girardi, and then they go on a five-game winning streak. Very funny, right? How does that happen? You just gotta spark them, right? Now the Phillies can hit. They won that first game 10 nothing. Yesterday they won in game three to two where they that, that was the first game all year that they've scored less than three runs and uh, won a game. So, so I know there was a second guy in the staff that was fired along with Girardi, 
was it the the assistant head coach or the assistant manager, whatever the heck they call it, or was it a hitting coach? I can't remember. I feel like it, I think it was a hitting coach, but you'll have to check check me on that. I'm not 100. percent I'll I'll see if I can find it here in the background, but. Yeah, so like the thing with Gir- Girardi also didn't seem like he was a great fit for the Phillies. He was like kind of just like he. I I think Girardi's like a little bit underrated as a manager. I think he's fine. He makes pretty solid tactical decisions and everything, but he's a really serious dude. He's not like a I don't know. He just doesn't seem like a real uh, people person in general. You know, you yeah. get that feel with him. Oh, a hundred percent. Um, I, I think that he probably rubs people the wrong way, especially in the pitching staff. Like he just, he doesn't seem to have a very good relationship with, uh, at least the bullpen. It seems from the outside, like he either has not a quick enough hook or has too long of a hook. And it just seems to tick everybody off, at least in, in my opinion. And, then you've got a team of big personalities there and Bryce and Castellanos. And he's just such a serious guy that I just don't see that meshing at all. Um, I've almost got the trying to remember how many days ago they fired him. And uh, the the interim manager is, uh, I, I think he was their bench coach. His name is Rob Thompson. And then the Angels also um, interim manager is Phil Nevin. So see what yeah. he's been a longtime coach. And obviously he was a great player and everything. So coaching I'm assistant not... Bobby Meacham was the one that was fired along with Girardi. But yeah. No, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how this goes, though, because um, the Phillies are on a five game winning streak and this Phillies team had been underperforming. The Angels team was kind of overperforming cra- prior to the crash, but they're still a good team. So at some point. This 0 13 has got to turn into at least a. The run where they go over 510 games, right? Maybe the Angels will just never win a game again. It's possible. Yeah. It feels like that. But. All right. So let's talk about something a little bit more not depressing baseball wise. Let's talk about one of the best rivalries in baseball. One that you and I were plugged into a lot this weekend. Five games in four days in Wrigley. Cardinals Cubs. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, it's kind of weird that it was the first time they had played all year, but I guess that was because of the change in the schedule. But I mean, really good series overall, really um, pretty well played. And all the games were close, except I think the Friday game ended up being a blowout, but all the other games were, you know, close. And um, I'll, I'll speak on the Cubs uh, side of it. The, the thing that was really encouraging for me as a Cubs fan is that the Cubs actually had, really good performances from their young starting pitchers who are all homegrown. So they had Keegan Thompson in the first game, pitched like five shutout innings. Um, and then major league debut, 
of, uh, well, so second career star from Matt Swarmer in the first game of the doubleheader on Saturday. And then Caleb Killian, the Cubs' top pitching prospect, had a very encouraging first career start in a pretty, you know, tense, uh, pressure-filled situation in the nightcap. And then um, Justin Steele pitched seven innings, matching Adam Wainwright in that last game of the series. So that, that, was, that was really cool for, for me to see. Yeah. Uh, from the Cardinals side, they were kind of struggling for, for pitching depth for a while. Um, this series, we didn't really know who was going to be pitching, uh, on, uh, Thursday, uh, just had it. Where'd it go? Matthew Libertor came in and pitched Thursday. He only went 3.2 and, or three, three and a, uh, three and one third, sorry, three and a third. Um, so we turned to the bullpen for like five games. And then uh, day two, I think it was Oviedo, maybe. No, Michaelis, but he only went five. And then on Saturday during the doubleheader, we ended up bringing up Oviedo. Um, and then uh, Andre Pallante both started that day. So these are guys that have been in the minors or been relievers for pretty much the whole year. We kind of didn't know if we were going to be able to get through the series just from pitching and the fact that we came away with, what was it? A three to two series. Yeah. Cardinals ended yeah. up taking the last two and in extra innings. And yeah, so- uh, the, the Saturday night game was kind of crazy. So both teams obviously struggling to find pitching Cubs actually had a nine game week. It was their second double header of the week uh, after they played the Brewers on that Monday. And they had to use David Robertson in the seventh inning. He pitched two and a third. Um, Ryan Helsley for the Cardinals pitched over two innings. Giovanni Gallegos pitched two innings. It was like all hands on deck because they actually had no available pitchers for that last game of that or that last game of the doubleheader. Yeah, yeah. And then the the big big thing for the Cardinals was Sunday night. Adam Wainwright night. He comes in twirls seven. Um, seven nine hit uh innings but only gave up two runs two walks and then Henesis cabrera comes in and goes four he pitches uh into extras two innings and extras and we managed to get out of that game with only two pitchers and it that pretty much saved the cardinals uh bullpen for this week and then with the off day after that but yeah, it was it was kind of scary to watch it just from a pitching standpoint as a Cardinal fan. The uh, you didn't really feel too worried about hitting because I mean Goldschmidt carried a twenty three game hit streak into Saturday morning, lost it in game one, still took two walks, and then started a new hit streak Saturday night. Um, and so behind him, we managed to put up enough runs, but yeah. It was it's an interesting series. Yep. Uh, is there anything else we want to talk about about that series, or should we get right into the main topic for today? Oh my God, we got to talk about Alejandro Kirk. Oh yes. So go for it, Alejandro Kirk. He was a guy that I kind of was looking at preseason. I was like. I think he's going to have a really good season. Um, just 
really good track record in the minor leagues, uh, finished the season really strong before he got injured and, you know, makes a lot of contact and everything and, and has great on-base skills. The beginning of the season was just absolutely brutal for Alejandro Kirk. He just could not, like, he was not hitting the ball hard at all. All his hits appeared like they were infield hits, and he was just would take a walk every week. And uh, it was pretty bad. In May, though, he's just completely turned it around. Um, he's hitting 347. He's got three homers. In June, he's got two more. He's hitting 417 this month. Uh, he's been on an absolute tear and now with Danny Jansen uh, being injured again he's going to be just taking on basically the bulk of the catching work for the Blue Jays um, he's just an extremely fun player to watch yeah and uh, the, there was an interesting note that Sarah Langs had tweeted I'm trying to find it because uh, I can only remember one of the other two but he is one of three players that uh, has walked more than he struck out this year. Um, he's got a 12.2% walk rate and a 9.3% K rate. And uh, one of the other two is Jose Ramirez, who is arguably the best hitter in baseball so far this year. I say arguably because there's a couple other guys that they'll be mad if you don't mention their name and Judge and Goldschmidt and... Mookie Betts, but just the fact that anybody is walking more than they strike out is insane. The fact that there's three and one of them is Alejandro Kirk, who is just breaking out in front of our eyes is really cool to see. And then the other fun thing about Alejandro Kirk is if you go on his baseball, uh, baseball savant page, um, he is actually really well uh, rated from a um, pitch framing standpoint. He's 93rd percentile in pitch framing. Uh, I have a friend who would yell at me for calling it framing. I believe it's uh, receiving is <laughs> what I'm supposed to be calling it. Um, but yeah, so he's, he's not just good at the plate. He's pretty solid behind the plate, no matter what anyone tells you. So... Yeah, he's he's a must watch this year though. Plus, Short King. Short King. We love sh we love Short Kings on this pod. All right. Ready to build a baseball team? Ready. All right, so I'm going to try and explain this uh as clearly as I can cuz I I tried texting it to Gowie here this uh this week and I think we had some uh misinterpretations until it, about an hour and a half ago. So basically what we're going to try and do is we're going to piece together a mega team uh, in baseball um, by positional groups. So we're not going to go and pick one first baseman, one second baseman. We're not doing that. What we're going to do is we're going to go in, we're going to take a full rotation. We're going to take a full bullpen, a full outfield, infield, a catcher's core. So we're separating them out just a little bit because I, I do feel that catching is a little bit is valued differently than infield. So I, I wanted to break them out and then uh, a bench and each one has to come from a different team across major league baseball. So what do you say we get started? 
I will right. let you go first. What group do you want to pick, and who are you taking? Okay, so it all starts with uh, starting pitching and the New York Yankees, who I believe still have the best record in the league, right? I believe so. Yeah, so their starting pitching has just been out of this world this year. Um, all their guys basically have been just going deep into games and not even you know allowing many runs at all. Um, so it's not like it's just Garrett Cole and a bunch of guys. It's Garrett Cole, Nestor Cortez, who's having a, like a true breakout this year. Who to this point in the season has been way better than Garrett Cole. Yeah, which is just I would like to shocking. Yeah, it's it's quite amazing that that's actually happening. But um, Luis Severino is rounding into form after a bunch of years of being injured. He's looking good. Jordan Montgomery, sinker baller, he is also pitching the best he's ever pitched in his career. And then Jamison Tyon um, kind of being the guy that they thought they were getting in the trade with the Pirates. He's, he's put it all together. Yeah, this is an absolute phenomenal rotation. Um, I had team pitching stats pulled up. Let me pull it up again. Um, as a team... Why is this looking at just Houston? Uh, as a team, their uh, or their rotation is pitching to a 263 ERA and only a 302 FIP. So, like, it's not like they're outperforming what they should be. Um, they're they're leaving everybody on base. They have an over 80 percent left on base percentage. It's it's absolutely nuts. Um, and they're not really given up all that many home runs. I think they're actually, they've given up the second least second fewest home runs across the majors as a starting staff uh, behind surprisingly Minnesota. Yeah, that's, so. that's an interesting one. Cause you know, Yankee stadium traditionally pretty Homer friendly. Not sure if that's ball related. Maybe uh, the humidor will change things this summer in New York. We'll see if that, that holds. Yeah. But no, that's that's a great spot to start a mega team. So, I mean, obviously, if you got a great rotation, you're not going to need a bullpen very much. But when you do need a bullpen, you want a good one. And so I'm going to go ahead and we're going to take the Braves bullpen, who collectively has put up three and a half war this season uh, so far behind the likes of Spencer Strider um, in 11 appearances there. Um, he's moved to the rotation since, uh, but he's been really, really good out of the pen. Um, Kenley Jansen uh, doing Kenley things. Uh, his ERA is a little bit inflated uh, there at a 365, but he's overall been really solid, still striking out guys at a 35% clip. And... Then you get to the guys that are maybe a little less obvious. Your uh, Colin McHugh, your Jesse Chavez, um, and those guys have been huge for this rota- or this bullpen as well. Um, and they do have quite a few guys in the uh, that have been coming up and down from the minors, getting an inning here and there. But it's it's those four guys that are are the big ones. I'll add uh, AJ Minter. He's been probably their best guy out of the bullpen. 34 strikeouts in 24 innings. 
at a 113 ERA. Completely missed him. I blame the fact that I still don't have glasses. <laughs> which is frustrating. Oh my gosh. Don't lose your glasses on a baseball trip, folks. It's awful. <laughs> Life lessons. Yeah. And uh, another guy they have who hasn't been amazing is Will Smith. Like he, he's, a, he's an okay pitcher, but if you look back to what they were doing last year, he was kind of like one of their best guys. And now he's kind of like in the middle of that bullpen. He doesn't need to take on the high leverage innings because they've got uh, AJ Minter and, uh, and the gang doing the, the heavy lifting this year. Yeah. All right. So that is our pick for the bullpen. So the Yankees in the rotation, the Braves in the bullpen, so now we got to go to the lineup in, in the field. So let's let's maybe start with the outfield. Okay. So, so for the outfield, we're going to go with uh, the Houston Astros, who continue to uh, amaze with their just amazing offense. And uh, their outfielders are great. As usual, and they're, they're the same guys basically that have been there for for some time now. With uh, Jordan Alvarez uh, just playing like an MVP, he's honestly playing better than he ever has, which is just like hard to believe after the seasons that he's had to this point. Um, yeah, and, and, and he he does split time at DH as well. Right. Just, yeah. But and he actually been, just agreed to a major contract extension. With the Astros for six years, one hundred fifteen million. I mean, that's like that's a huge deal for a guy that is probably going to end up being just a full time DH when Michael Brantley leaves the team, right? So they yeah. have that much faith in him as a hitter that he does not need to provide any value defensively. They don't really care if he runs the bases or whatever. It's like he's going to hit his way to. Uh, to earn that contract. And, and there's no doubt in my mind that he's going to be able to do that. He's absurdly good. Yeah. And after winning rookie of the year in 2019, like he's been really good, but like, he's not really got a lot of recognition for how good he's been. But then this year he's uh, hitting 289, uh, 289, 389, 622 for a 1.011 OPS. Um, and he's just been flat out dominating. He's at 17 home runs already this year. Whoa. Um, yeah. Like, I didn't even know this, that. And and it's like crazy. He, he's cut his strikeout rate from 24% last year all the way down to 15% this year. How do you do that? And, that and still a, hit for that kind of power. That, and increase your average, too. <laughs> yeah. Everything just got better. Yeah. It's nuts. He's he's already well over um, half of his career high in season F four. Um, he's at two point three F four so far this season. Last year was his career high at three point eight. So he's he's on track for like a six war season, which is really freaking good. It's like MVP candidate. I I wouldn't. Wouldn't necessarily say MVP, but MVP candidate. Yeah, right if they there. took a, a lawn chair and put it out in left field and Alvarez sat there 
and made the other outfielders do all the work, like he would still be probably a valuable outfielder. Well, and honestly, this team could, because like, look at the other guys they got. Uh, center fielder, Kyle, or uh, right fielder, Kyle Tucker. Yeah. But still, pretty solid defensive uh, defensive right fielder in Kyle Tucker, who is also hitting pretty well. Not as good as I would have expected. He's actually only hitting for a 260 average, but his 260, 359, 475 slash line when you couple that with 10 home runs actually does have him with a 145 WRC plus. So, and add on to that, the fact that he's got 10 steals. Yeah. Just a lackluster 145 WRC plus, right? That's nothing compared to Alvarez, right? Who's at 190. (laughs) Oh, geez. Yeah. And, uh, Tucker's not far behind in, in the war, uh, category there either. Cause he's at 2.1. Like, this is the season that I kind of thought Kyle Tucker would go out and put up an MVP season. Um, and he's on pace. If he gets his average up to where it probably should be and everything else comes with it, like he very well could be right there in that um, MVP conversation at the end of the year. Oh, he'll, he'll have to play better than Alvarez, though, right? That's true, but his defense does make it a little bit easier to say yeah. i feel like defense doesn't win mvps though it doesn't but like since alvarez is mostly a dh they tend to not like giving him to dhs either yeah that's true so but i mean alvarez is right up there with uh you know mike trout and aaron judge and jose ramirez as a hitter yeah no, but then the the guy who actually is going to be catching all those balls that um, Lawn Chair Alvarez is not, it's Jose Siri. This kid's nuts. He's an awful hitter. He's actually a 79 WRC+. plus. He's worse than most catchers at hitting. Um, yet he's still put up almost one F4, uh, which is a testament to how great his defense is. Um. Which is kind of surprising because when he was a prospect, um, his 2020 prospect grades actually only graded him out as a 45 fielder with 60 speed. So, like, you wouldn't expect a guy to go out and be this great defensive center fielder. And that's kind of what they've gotten him right now. So. Yeah, and Chaz McCormick's been pretty good, too. Um, like, he, he doesn't have to do much, but, I mean, he's he's been playing a good bit and he's got six home runs already. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And then they did go out and trade for Mauricio Dubon as well, who is another one of those kind of fast defense first guys. So this is a really, really well-built outfield. In my opinion, you've got your power hitter who can't field. You've got a guy who's pretty much a five tool player and Kyle Tucker over in right field. And then center, you just need someone who can catch every ball. Yep. So, and then Michael Brantley, we can't forget Michael Brantley. He's kind of just been doing what he always does, which is get a lot of hits and be a, just a solid player. Yep, pretty much. Hit for almost zero power. Yeah. But he is hitting 287. So uh, I'm kind of surprised that like that he's a 132 WRC plus, though. I just I can't seem to figure out what is 
making that stat seem so off this year compared to most. He gets on base a lot and, you know, just slugging is down in general. So that's fair. And I guess the the league average is down at 240 now. So 287 looks a lot better than 287 compared to 250, which is what the average typically is, I think. Right. Yeah. So I guess that makes sense. All right. Where do we want to go next? Um, what else we got? Infield? Yep. Infield, catching, and bench. All right. Infield. All right. I like this one a lot. I'm very, uh, very selfish here. Uh, I don't think there's an infield in the league better than the St. Louis Cardinals infield. Behind Paul Goldschmidt and his insane month and a half that he's had since the beginning of May. Tommy Edmond has been one of the top like seven guys in the league uh, by war. And then Nolan Arenado, who had an amazing April. Uh, like that in and of itself is awesome. And then I actually was breaking it down and the Cardinals um, infield actually has a minus 0.4 war contribution from shortstops. Like, there is a black hole at shortstop, and it's still the best um, infield in the league. And now we've pulled up Nolan Gorman. And Gorman threw 53 plate appearances in 15 games. Um, was hitting 298, 377, 553 with three home runs and has been playing decent second base. So add that to Edmund, Arenado, and Goldschmidt, and you just get this like monstrosity of a fantastic uh, infield. And it, it's probably the scariest hitting outfield in the league. Like, I really thought when I was looking that the Dodgers were going to take it by far, and that was not the case. No, they've had some struggling guys for sure. Um, the one that I just don't understand Tommy Edmond, like, how is he good? It makes zero sense to me. Like, like, I can't argue with the numbers here. Like he's been insanely good. He's been the best second baseman in the league. Um, you know, I know he plays great defense and everything, but this is like, uh, where did it come from? And he's not really doing much different. Yeah. And, uh, so the weird thing with him is when he came up, it was during the juice ball years. And so he hit 11 home runs as a rookie after hitting like three home runs in the minors in his career or something like something yeah. stupid like that. And like he has an amazing contact ability and his, uh, his awareness of the zone is really, really good. Um, but he wasn't really supposed to be a power hitter. And then he kind of did that same thing for two years. And then they de-juiced the ball. And he still has five home runs this year. Like, it makes no sense. His, uh, admittedly, his, um, he's hitting the ball harder now than he ever has. His hard hit rate is actually up from 33.6% as a rookie to 39% almost today. Um. And his uh, average EV is up a one and a half mile an hour. And it it just, 
I don't really get it. Like he's 27 now. So he's growing into his body a bit more, has a little bit more natural power than he did as a rookie. But it still doesn't really make sense to me. And then add in the fact that he uh, has 14 steals this year. Like, I feel like I'm just on a Tommy Stan rant here. You could feel free to chime in at any point. I mean, yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty shocked by this, and I don't know if it's going to continue. But I mean, like, there's nothing telling me that it, that it won't continue. So, gotta believe it. He's he reminds me a lot of early Matt Carpenter. Like he was this guy that came up and wasn't really a big name, wasn't really supposed to be all that good. And then he just kind of kept producing and kept producing. And then he became this doubles machine, um, which is kind of Tommy's thing is just hitting double after double. Um, And he's, he's just kind of the devil magic guy that stays like, he's not the Jeremy Hazelbaker. He's not like one of those one and done guys. He just, Brendan Donovan. Yeah, Brendan Donovan is also. Brendan Donovan's the perfect Cardinal. Yes, he is. Although, the one thing you cannot tell me this year is that the Cardinals are boring. I mean, I can tell you whatever I want. You're you're wrong, though. No, they're not boring. First time in 22 years, the St. Louis Cardinals have not been boring. That's nice to say. All right. So I talked about the Cardinals infield. How about I let you take catching? Uh, yeah. So catching is uh, Wilson Contreras. It's all him. And he has been the best catcher in the league this year. Um, he's having his best career season. He's uh, got a 161 WRC plus, uh, 277, 403, 530 slash line. Already put up 2.2 war in just uh, 47 games. So looks like he's about to have, you know, a career season in his walk year. So he's kind of looking at um, like maybe the JT Real Muto contract as a comp for what he might get in free agency. Um, yeah, I mean, he's just like, every time he's up to bat, it seems like he's putting together like great at bats and he's, he's absolutely crushing the ball, um, when he makes contact. So, yeah, I, uh, oh shoot, where'd it go? I just had it. I was looking at his, um, hard hit rate and, oh, there it is. Uh, he's a 57% hard hit rate. That is absolutely insane. That's 72 batted balls so far and that's a 57 percent uh hard hit rate is the the other thing that i've thought was interesting is like yes his hard hit rate is high but he's hitting them harder than ever too yeah yeah um because his he's hit his new max uh exit velocity this year is 116.2 and his average exit velocity which had been 88 point two to 88 and a half for the first four years of his career climbed up to about 90 in 2020 91 in 2022 is it almost 94 right now wow yeah that's up there with like the Aaron judges of the world yeah 
So like, I mean, so the, he's the increased one thing, his launch angle. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. it's manifesting itself in the power. He's got ten home runs already. The difference with uh, between Wilson Contreras and all the other Cubs that they traded last year is that Wilson looks like he's actually like getting better as he goes into his free agent contract. All the other guys were kind of in decline, and it's it's shown like that in the first years of their new contracts, right? They've all played worse than they played with the Cubs. So he's the guy to extend. They just got to make it happen. And I don't think they're going to, unfortunately. See, the interesting thing is going to be, does he actually get traded? Because he's the best trade chip they've got, but nobody trades for catchers mid season because you don't have time to like, get to know your new staff and, and figure it all out. And then all of a sudden it's the postseason. And that's not really a good spot to be in. Yeah, it's a like, that's an interesting point, but you would think that many, many teams are gonna be still interested in him. Like how about the Mets and the Yankees? Those are two teams that need catchers. Yeah. And I mean, let's be real, if he goes to the Mets, like he knows Trevor Williams a little bit. <laughs> not that he wants to, but yeah. I mean nobody wants to. But yeah. eh. um, no, it's it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with him. But let's give a little bit of love to the guy who's going to be the starting catcher for the Cubs as soon as Wilson gets traded. Yeah, Jan Gomes. So I was going to go with PJ Higgins, but so okay. Jan Gomes is a smart signing, like because it's allowed Wilson um, in the lineup almost every day because the days that. Um, the days that he's DHing, then Jan Gomes or PJ Higginson can catch. And that's been a huge thing um, with Wilson because he, he seemed to wear down a little bit, especially last year when they went through about eight backup catchers because they all were ineffective or got hurt. And then Wilson was playing like a ridiculous amount and he ended up getting hurt himself. So having like a competent backup catcher has been a one of the only things that has gone right for the Cubs this year. And I guess we can say that the total unit has been good. It's been really good. Yeah. Um, as a unit, they've put up almost three combined war. Uh, most of that is Wilson at 2.2. But like that, that does give you some hope that um, in PJ Higgins, who's got 0.4 and not a very big, uh, very large amount of playtime. Yeah. Um, and Jan Gomes, you kind of know what you're getting with him anyway. So, yeah, it's it's a great position to be in right now. At the trade deadline, maybe not. That's a conversation for another time. But so, all right, we have. One more uh, area of the field that we need to address here, and that is our bench, because if any of our guys get hurt, we're kind of screwed. So this team, actually, now that I'm looking at it, is uh, very NL Central, and I was not expecting that. What do you mean Uh, by that? Cardinals infield, Cubs catching, and now I'm going with the Brewers bench. Oh, yeah. Huh. Um, but the, the Brewers bench is really for one guy and one guy only. Um, and 
that's Jace Peterson. Um, Jace Peterson has been really, really good this year. Um, in 138 plate appearances, uh, getting getting some time at a lot of different positions, mostly at third. He's got time at first, second, left, and right. But in 138 plate appearances, he's hitting 230, uh, 314, 434 with five home runs, um, which is just a little bit better than average at 109 WRC+. Plus, but it's it's a full war coming off the bench there. And yeah, you could argue that he's maybe not a bench guy. He's a platoon guy. But it's good to have those options that can actually start. So Brewers have had a, a number of injuries. So Luis Arias was injured at the beginning of the year. So Peterson played a lot of third. Um, Willie Adamas went down. That opened up some more playing time for Peterson as well. Another, and then a couple other outfielders that start a lot in McCutcheon and Hunter Renfro have missed time themselves. And then you got Tyrone Taylor jumping in the mix, and he's been pretty good too. And then Mike Brasso, I think he's had a couple pinch hit homers. He's injured right now, but overall, solid bench. Yeah. Um, and their their bench so far this year has put up uh, a, about two war or more. So is and, that just would that just be counting basically the players that got into the games but didn't start them? Uh, I, I'm just kind of guessing cause there's not like an actual like filter that you can go and select oh. bench. Um, so I, I basically had to go and look at individual players that do primarily play off the bench and add that together and then got it. added in a little bit of a fudge factor there. Cause, uh, Jace Peterson, Tyrone Taylor and Keston Hura have combined for 1.6 and that's, that's who their current bench is. Um, but with some of the guys that you've named in Brousseau and um, uh, like it, it's probably a bit higher than that. So, but yeah, so no, this, this team is, I think really stacked. It's a combined 32 and a half war for the Yankees rotation, the Braves bullpen, the Astros outfield, the Cardinals infield, the Cubs catching and the Brewers bench. Like, what more could you want in a team? I mean, you could. I mean, I think the A's could beat them. That's a good point. Yeah. The A's could beat them behind Luis Barrera, I think. Probably single-handedly. It's like the most obscure guy you could have named. That was pretty good. I mean, hey, I'm, I'm getting better at reaching into the depths and pulling out some weird names. <laughs> Although he did also just get a tops now moment this week. So like okay. there's also that. Um, but yeah. Uh, so I guess what's your, what's your biggest takeaway from this exercise? Um, it is interesting that three of the units came from the same division. Um, I guess while you were, cause you did most of the background uh, work for this. Were there any other units that came uh, up that were, strong contenders, but you didn't pick them eventually. Yeah, um, there were, I'll, let me, let me get this, um, pulled back up so I could just look through them. But, um, from a pitching staff standpoint, uh, Philadelphia actually was a pretty, pretty intriguing option. Um, they're, they're about 
a full war and a half less than the Yankees. So like, I obviously didn't go with them. Um, I, I actually almost, if I hadn't gone with the Yankees starting rotation, I would have gone with the Yankees bullpen, um, which I think is a testament to just how good this Yankees pitching staff is right now that they have the best starting rotation in the second best bullpen in the league. Um, also surprisingly, Baltimore is third. Yeah. And <laughs> so that was weird. Um, and the as far as outfield is concerned, the Mets were an honorable mention. Um, I really did think about uh, talking about the Mets starting rotation, actually, and specifically mentioning um, that everything that they're doing right now to keep them in 10th is without Tyler McGill, uh, Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer and cookie Carrasco has got what, like 10 starts or 10 wins this year or something stupid already eight wins or something like that. Yeah. He's been pretty good. So yeah, there was, there was a lot of good options. Um, but ultimately like there was pretty much one group in every position that just far and away was the best. Um, so it, it did make it pretty easy, but I was really surprised to see that three out of the six teams represented in this mega team are all NL central. Cause the NL central is not really the division that you look at and go, this is elite. So <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. So that was a fun exercise for me. So I'm really curious to see what other people would put together. Um, Cause like, yeah, mine was built a lot based on war, um, which is a, a good starting point to figure out who's good and who's not. But I feel like other people would build their teams differently. So I actually would love to see uh, people tweet at us who your mega team would be. If you got to choose one position from each team and you had to put together these six categories, how would you build your team? So I'll see if I could put that out there. I might try and do that one on TikTok too. I'll see if I can figure out how to do that. Um, got any other, uh, anything else you want to talk about? Any closing arguments? Just that the next time we talk to you, the Phillies will still not have lost and the Angels still will not have won. That is accurate. I am actually really upset that the Angels didn't win the first game with Phil Nevin. Um, I think it would have been cool to see two guys get fired and their teams immediately snap losing streaks. Yes. But, oh well. All right, so... Thank you all for joining us this week. Uh, if you enjoy this podcast, make sure that you subscribe on uh, your favorite podcasting app or on YouTube uh, to make sure that you don't miss any future episodes. Uh, let us know your thoughts on uh, on the conversation we've had here uh, through either YouTube comments or um, reaching out to us on Facebook or Twitter at Getaway Day Pod uh, or on TikTok. Um, I'm going to try and get a video out on that. I'm just not very good at TikTok. So, um, yeah, and I, I would love to see what you guys could put together for your mega teams. So um, I think that 
pretty much wraps it up for us today. So thank you very much and have a great night.